Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. on a Friday afternoon. Time now for Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Good afternoon. I'm Mickey Dakota, and we are here in the presence of the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for 20 years and running every film since Raised in Arizona, and hence J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Also, George Williman uh, of a Great Note in the Library of Congress, where he has been the film archivist for more than 20 years in charge of all the nitrate films that we know and love. George Williman, welcome to WISO. Greetings. We are here today because every Friday we celebrate what you gentlemen have termed the perfect movie. Tell us the movie today. Well, today's film is one of our favorites from 1984, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. In the eighth, eighth dimension? Yeah, across, yeah, across, across the, the eighth There's dimension. There's a sub? Yeah, subtitle yeah. on it. Because they were going to make more, and uh, unfortunately they never got around to it. So, Isn't that a shame it wasn't originally scheduled yeah. to have a sequel? We're passionately in love with this movie. We've been passionately in love with this movie for 20 years, and we still think that it is a perfect film. Not only do you love this movie, but it does fit into the rules that you have set forth for qualification for this designation of yes, perfect we have, film. Can you tell I us? I don't know if anybody has ever listened to this program, but we have rules we abide by to make perfect films on this list. We don't make them, of course, but we put them on our list according to rules. And George is going to say the first perfect rule. The first rule is they create the world they exist in. Yes, and secondly, all the films that are deemed perfect, they wholly sustain that world. Think about that. They wholly sustain the world. And third, regardless of changes in society, they retain their meaning and entertainment value. They are classic. There's a notion of creation and sustaining in these. And for what reason do you think that this, let me just say, bizarre film from 1984, Buckaroo Banzai, how is it that this manages to accomplish this? Well, I mean, right off the bat, when we talk about creating the world they exist in, this film actually creates three worlds uh, and actually manages to to sustain them throughout the movie. It's truly astounding. Three dispensations in this movie. Three Uh, cinematic dispensations, yes. What I have to say about it is that I watched this film, and it was almost beyond my comprehension. I appreciated the small parts, but I'm amazed that you gentlemen were able to put it all together. And apparently, you're not the only people that feel this way. This movie has incredible depth of meaning, and I suppose it's because of these three worlds. It And, and it, it, um, it has maintained a, a cult presence ever since it came out. Um, I remember when we saw it back in 1984 in the theater... When the film was over, I had the really bizarre feeling that I was one of the few people there that actually got it, Not and that surprised. was kind. Of, and that was kind of um, uh, yeah, what's the word I want to look for? Indemnified. Yeah. That yeah. when uh, these teenagers stood up in the front of the theater and went, "That sucked," <laughs> as loud as they could. But George, I immediately looked at George, and George looked like an, a red electrode. And I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror, and I looked like a black electrode. 
Now, if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about okay. because only certain people see these red and black electrodes. That's right, which are kinds of aliens. Now, George, if you could, and believe me, I think this is a would be a daunting task. Give us a sort of schematic oh, overview God. of the action in this very bizarre movie. Well, the basic crux of the story is the main character, whose name is Buckaroo Banzai, um, is a world-famous uh, scientist and rock and roll star. He's a neurosurgeon, too, and nerd, remember? Yes, and He's a neurosurgeon. a neurosurgeon. And at the beginning of the film, he has developed this little device that his father started many years before called the Oscillation Overthruster, and with it, he is able to drive his jet car, which is actually a Ford Ranger pickup with a jet engine on it, uh, <laughs> through solid matter. Which people have been trying to do for trying some to do time, for and like he 50, finally... Yeah. But the thing about this is that while he's going through the mountain, he encounters the red electroids that have been trapped there for eons by their counterparts, the black electroids. They're, they're characters, folks, in case you should see this movie. They're yeah. kinds of they're aliens, characters. right? Right, they're yes. those aliens from a planet called Planet 10. Um, <laughs> at any rate, because Buckaroo Banzai has done this, the evil leader of the red electroids, who is hiding out in the body of an Italian scientist, played by John Lithgow, uh, managed to, to escape and put into works the idea of stealing this overthruster that works to get the rest of the red electroids out, go back to Planet 10, and take it over from the black electroids. Yeah, and interestingly enough, it has something to do with the War of the Worlds. Uh, Orson Welles' radio play, which they're saying was not fictitious. And um, the, the group, the Buckaroo Banzai and his men get involved in this because the black electroids, the leader of the black electroids, come to them and tell him, tell Buckaroo, that if he does not stop the red electroids, they will fire a particle beam weapon and destroy a city in Russia, effectively starting World War III and destroying the Earth. Yeah. So this he does. And it turns out that they, the, yeah, the This is where the plot thickens, of course. <laughs> yeah. And it also, by the way, is one of the few big science fiction films that takes place completely in New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> And the cowboy that. in this movie is called New Jersey, uh, Jeff Goldblum. That's right. And for an, an interesting side note to show that the, the people who created this do have a lot of knowledge in their heads about old film, uh, making Jeff Goldblum's character a cowboy and calling yes. him New Jersey and having him come from Fort Lee, New Jersey, which is where the motion picture industry started. Actually got started. Most yeah. people don't know that they think of Hollywood, but right. really the foothold began And that, in New that's Jersey. one of the things about this film, and one of the, somewhat the problem just watching it once, is there is so much oh, yeah. material packed in it's, every it frame expands, of this film. It expands. It expands as you go along, and uh, that's the great part about it. That's why it still has a lot of meaning today, because it really doesn't date itself. It's still... Holds uh, true. Speaking I mean, of which, it gave uh, it, it, it has a quote that I didn't actually realize was from that movie. Check it out. That's right. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Now that's philosophy. Just the best ever. <laughs> that's getting there. And there's also a poster. If you look very closely, here, it says one of my favorite lines: "The future belongs to tomorrow." <laughs> Because the, the, the aliens have created this company called Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems as a cover <laughs> for building their spaceship to go back to Planet 10. And their big poster at the bottom says, Yo-Yo Dine, a growing, excited company. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it absolutely qualifies. First of all, it creates the world in which it exists without question. Oh, no doubt. And the, and, the, and the depth of detail with the interplay of these several layers it, totally it, sustains you know, And you have to keep asking yourself at some point in this movie, Okay, this is over the top, but where is the top at? Where is the you top? Know? 
Um, and it's it's in such a mock tone all the time. You don't know when that mock tone ends. Right. I have actually seen uh, some some uh, like cinematic wags refer to this as a docudrama. Because no. yes, because uh, because the Buckaroo Banzai thing has grown so much. You can go on the internet and you can find like the official quotation marks official Banzai Institute website where you can learn all the background about all the characters and what they're up to now and different projects they've worked on. Actual, as if the characters were had lived forward. Are you, you mean the actors involved or the actual no no the characters, characters? such oh, as Perfect wow. Tommy and Pecos and, and Buckaroo and things like that. I, I might note also that uh, John Lithgow, who who plays the Italian, that's his finest also, role ever. It's amazing. Nothing is better than this role for John Lithgow, who had lived in Yellow Springs for some time. Also, yeah. Clancy Brown, a Miami Valley fellow. So I just think that's interesting that one of the best and strangest movies ever made also involves a couple of Miami yeah, and Valley laugh guys. Laugh while you can, and, and monkey boy. Speaking of which, speaking of which, um, here's a piece with John Lithgow. Uh, this scene, TV. he's in the asylum. Much juice. Another ten thousand kilowatts again this month. It beats me how an old homicidal loony can use that much power. Go on, take it. I don't need it. Tomorrow, I'm going home with my overthruster. It's <laughs> terrific, Doc. I'll make sure you get an early wake-up call. <laughs> Laugh while you can, monkey boy. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh while you can, monkey what boy. What a great... Yeah, I don't know how many times I've used that for people. Yeah. <laughs> how many times have you stood in front of your boss while he's lecturing you, and you think in your in your head while he's yakking at you? Laugh while you can, monkey boy. Why? Just this morning. <laughs> uh. So barely notable lines, and and some I had no idea that that wherever you go there you are was from oh, this yeah, movie. Well, first time I heard it, I thought, well, that's the cleverest thing I ever heard. Tell me a little bit about the writer who has to be insane. The writer is a, a <laughs> guy named Earl Mac Rausch, I believe it's pronounced Rausch, um, and he, along with W. D. Richter, the director, came up with this this monstrosity. Um, <laughs> and the other film that I know that Earl Mac Rausch is notable for, he wrote the the Scorsese film New York, New York. Oh, wow. A little bit different. Yeah. Uh, and W.D. Richter has gone on, uh, has done more writing than directing. He um, wrote the screenplay for one of John Carpenter's wildest films, um, Big Trouble in Little China, which uh, I have heard at one point was going to be the second Buckaroo Banzai film, uh, which was called Buckaroo Banzai vs. the World Crime League. I've not been able to substantiate that, but yeah, it kind of makes yeah, there's there's similarities between the two of them. It kind of seems, it seems a real shame that the that the sequel never got made because to me, now I only saw it one time. Normally, repetition is how I am able to right. assimilate anything, but um, it's so frenetic, it's so uh, just sort of rapid fire information that I'm sure that people that have invested in watching this movie enough times to get it are probably hungry oh, for yeah. that follow up. Is oh there... man, I wouldn't be surprised if if somebody comes out of nowhere and, and, and creates the sequel. You know, That's it could right. happen uh, because. George and I, we have we got a we have a thought experiment here, mm. and we can only imagine if you would pitch the Hollywood producer, you know, if you were pitching this back then, and and the way, they always compare everything, you know, that's the only way they can do movies. Sure. Is by, and, they compare, you know, they have to compare them. It has to be like you know, it's like it's, Gone with the Wind meets right. It's like it's like Ben Hur and Date with Judy. <laughs> yes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But we think 
We think this movie would kind of go a little bit like this, like, you know, the red-hot kids in front of the, you know, the studio <laughs> guy. And he says, uh, this movie's kind of like James Bond meets Spinal Tap meets Roy Rogers meets Elvis Presley meets Soviet Menace Cold War meets Made in Japan meets UFO meets Kennedy Assassination meets War of the Worlds meets E equals M MC Square, of course. Uh, meets nanotechnology, meets the right stuff, meets time travel, meets Superman Bizarro World, not just Superman, right. but Superman Bizarro World, uh, meets Night of the Living Dead on MTV. <laughs> so Any, anything to add there, George? I think you pretty much covered it there. Yes. See, I don't even think we've hit the tip of the iceberg on this, you know, because this movie is so vast. So the overview of the movie is this, this uber character who combines all the qualities of normally the one hero would just sustain one of these, but he's all of those, and he moves through time and basically saves the Earth? Yeah. In some places I've seen, he is often compared to the character... The uh, 30s pulp character Doc Savage, mm. who was very similar. He, um, this highly educated man who was uh, orphaned early and has this uh, contingency of, of bizarre but extremely useful sidekicks uh, <laughs> that go around with him, whose names are, are fairly similar to Buckaroo Banzai's sidekicks. Uh, they actually did make a film of uh, Doc Savage in the early 70s, and it too was a, an, an enormous failure. Wow. Probably for other reasons, but <laughs> no, uh, also we. You, I heard you mention that uh, this had mass appeal right away to a few people, and over time has yeah. Two really guys, grown. two guys that were two going guys, to school at Wright State University. If I remember correctly, most of the people that we went to school at that time really did like it. And I don't know if it was just the certain age group or what. The younger, like I said, the younger kids that we saw it in the theater with, they did not like it. Now, beyond the fact that it still has a very avid cult following up to this day, on rule number three, despite cultural, still has meaning. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and tell well, me. Well, there's a little nanotechnology buried yeah. in this movie. Yeah, true you know? enough. True enough. Um, it's still, it's not dated. You can look at it and say, I can't really place that as an 80s film. Maybe the music kind of gives away a little bit. A little but, bit, uh, but still. You know, you, these costumes, how many times have you seen a movie say, this is the future? And yeah. look at the old Star, Star Trek episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the future, yeah, sure. <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai, hey, that could be the future because you just walk around the Antioch campus and you're going to see kids dressed just like these people. <laughs> Or for that matter, the Wright State campus. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I don't think Ohio State fits in there because, you know, it's football time and they <laughs> all want to look like Brutus Buckeye. <laughs> so, perfect movie today. We're talking with George Willeman, film archivist at the Library of Congress, and also J. Todd Anderson, a storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers, and more. Uh, for 20 years, both of you combined, we're approaching 50 years of experience in your uh, related fields. Talking about the perfect movie, Buckaroo Banzai. And I have to say, again, I enjoyed it. It was like a roller coaster ride. It was like a fast-paced uh, just barrage of images, but I have to say I'm going to have to watch it again. Let me, let me add one thing. Let's, um, let's give a little bit of a, a, a sample from the soundtrack of the last one. This is, um, this is John Lithgow again as uh, Emilio Lizardo, who has been taken over by the evil John Warfen, the head of the Red <laughs> Electroids. And this is him at the Yo-Yo Dine factory giving his sort of Il Duce-like rant uh, to the workers. you got to listen to some of the things he says because he turns very popular phrases around and it's really great. So go ahead. Blacks are on this planet here in New Jersey coming to destroy us. We must act. Escape or die. We must work faster to finish the great vehicle 
is what you are in the dark. We must work while the clock, she's a ticking. We hide, they seek. <laughs> oh, that movie's just too much, man. I tell you. I wanted to add quickly that part of the reason why perhaps it didn't get a broader appeal initially, um, I might heard you speaking about this, that the right stuff had come out just the year before, and I think people were expecting maybe that kind of a movie, and then they got Buckaroo Banzai, right. uh, Bizarre and, and, also, and also, I believe that same summer was the summer of Ghostbusters, which meant that everything else got yeah. put behind. Well, yeah. when, when you watch the, the uh, original version of this movie, which you can see on uh, DVD now, you kind of watch it, it has a little bit of the right stuff feel to it. And, yeah. And you don't know that you're kind of being put on until you see John Lithgow. <laughs> then it's obvious that you've been had. You know, when, when he starts looking like he does, you think, this is a comedy. <laughs> You guys. <laughs> and I guess, I, actually, I take one moment here to talk about what actually did happen to the film. Um, in its initial release, originally it was it was financed by MGM. And once the film was finished and they took a look at it, they decided they didn't want to do, have anything to do with it. And 20th Century Fox picked it up, and then they kind of released it, but they kind of lowballed it and didn't do a whole lot with it. And, and it flopped at the box office, and, and then it was buried. Now, the, the from what I understand, the gentleman who owned the rights to the film was so angry about the failure of the film, because I bet he felt he'd been sold a bill of goods by the, the people who made it, <laughs> that he deliberately like, just kind of tucked it away. And although it was originally released on video and it was out on Laserdisc for a while, when DVD came out and the better videos came out, he would have nothing to do with it. And it wasn't until uh, his company finally went out of business and its assets were sold off that MGM, of all people, bought picked it, it up, bought it back, <laughs> And have now released it on a very nice, actually one of the nicest uh, DVD packages with an entire history and commentaries and extras. Yeah, when they were throwing the furniture in the yard, they went in the house and they found this negative under the pillow. Yeah. And, <laughs> and somebody said, this is a good movie. Yeah. But it is Only nice. kidding, folks. That and, didn't happen. And they did a really beautiful and finally widescreen transfer of it because that's one of the real glories of this film is the widescreen image. Uh, the, the cinematographer... Uh, Fred Cohenkamp was a great cinematographer for widescreen, and every square inch of that frame yes. is used. And they use it marvelously. In fact, one of the better tricks in this movie that you never see done nowadays is like what Howard Hawks said years ago, don't show the exterior. And then it can be as deep and long and, and far as you want it to be. That's, you know, you pointed that out, and it is brilliant what they you do, never, They just keep going in there, and you don't care. And another <laughs> incredible little cinematic uh, device that they use is you'll notice that sometimes you see the black electrodes, and sometimes you see the red electrodes. And you're wondering, okay, how do you do this? You know, how, how what gives you the technique? And then they cut to, which character is it, George, that's looking at them? And uh, it'll be, it's um, New Jersey, actually. Yeah, he looks, and he squints. And then they cut back to the guy, and he's regular, and then he squints again, and then it's it's a red electrode, you know? But that's how they do it, cinematically. They don't, like, pull down the curtain and say, this is how we do this with a player. Right, and put up little, little titles across the and, bottom. And, and yeah. for those of you who are completely puzzled by that last piece, one of the things that the aliens can do is they give off a bacteria that causes humans to see the electrodes as humans. Yeah. But Buckaroo Banzai is given the formula to counteract that bacteria so that they're actually seen as Lectroids, which are kind of a bug-looking bug creature. 
We're talking about perfect movies, uh, Buckaroo Banzai with J. Todd Anderson and George Williman. And I think it's fair to say that for a true appreciation of its perfect movie status, it has to be viewed more than once. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. How and many you can view it. You'll never get tired of it. Oh, it's too I've, much fun. Yeah. You know? 50, 60 times. Probably. Really? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, no, I, that I, was on Thursday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bought the laser just 20 years ago when it came out and, and pretty much wore it out. Yeah. yeah. It's, got, it's got like, you know, candy handprints yeah. all over it and everything where we've handled it. And it's really disgusting. But we, I also, love, we love that movie. You know? We got to mention, I've totally forgotten her. One of the other big assets in this film was the, is the appearance of Ellen, Ellen Barkin. And she's hot she, in this picture. I'm telling you, this I is before Ron Perlman. This is before Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. This is, I think it was before Gabriel, but she is hot in this movie, folks. Yeah. In fact, if I remember correctly, this was the film that a good friend of mine, now lives down in Cincinnati, uh, decided to dub her Ellen Baby Barkin. Honestly, so, she yeah. is fantastic in this. Just And uh, they tie her up, of course, like <laughs> in all action movies. And know. cover her with honey. Yes. Yeah. And ants. And ants. Yeah. And ants. But, I mean, she plays the role wonderfully. This extreme. She's given this extremely melodramatic dialogue, which, of course, is all throughout the movie. Mm. And she just plays it like, you know, like Eleanor Duzay on the stage, just with, with every in, in, yeah, every ounce even, of acting she's got. She's yeah. dying to be the victim in this movie, and they just will not let her be the exactly. victim. Exactly. And, and also Peter Weller did a fantastic job and went on to be RoboCop. And, RoboCop, he's great. And uh, yeah. Naked Lunch. Yeah, yeah. Lunch. You know, and he's a neurosurgeon, and he's a rock star, um, he's a scientist, <laughs> and all these great things, but on the cover of the new uh, Buckaroo Banzai, he plays a guitar, of course. Because that's what we can all relate right. to nowadays is a guitar player. <laughs> right, and they've got a, a, a Ellen Barkin showing a lot of leg. A lot of leg, and then Jeff Goldblum in his fantastic Tom Mix outfit. Right. I think it's Tom Mix outfit. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got some thoughts on perfect movies of your own or just the movies that we've talked about here on Fridays, don't hesitate to get in touch with these gentlemen. We've got uh, Film Guys at PerfectMovie.net. That's Film Guys at PerfectMovie.net. We'd love to hear. Check out our site. Yeah, it's pretty that's right. cool. We have our new website up. It is www.perfectmovie.net. Uh, you can go up there. We have the first five episodes up right now. Hope yeah. to have some more up soon. And you can actually uh, subscribe to the web uh, podcast uh, via iTunes. Or I believe you can download them directly from the website as well. You can. And you can also go to WYSO. You can hear them all. You have not missed anything. Yeah, you haven't. And indeed, uh, I feel that I am greatly enriched indeed uh, for the last few weeks of these films, and I have gotten a great new appreciation for some of the details that have certainly gone overlooked. Uh, J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers, Mr. George Willeman, film archivist for the Library of Congress, thank you so much for bringing your movies in here and your thoughts in here and sharing these uh, radio theaters of the mind with us. We're doing it next week. What do we got? Next week we have uh, another great film from the 80s, actually. Uh, John Landis's werewolf epic, An American Werewolf in London. Oh, what a great film. I'm telling you, I, that's another movie I just can't get enough I'll of. I'll tell you what. It, listen, uh, through all of October we're doing sort of uh, fr on, that's films right, on the frightening side. Scatty movies. That's right. In fact, we're going to call it Frighteningly Perfect. <laughs> or Frightfully Perfect. That's Frightfully it. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.